0: Amen, amen, well good morning, hopefully everyone's uh, feeling trim and fit uh, after the week, and uh, I know our family is, we pretty much fasted all day Thursday, and um, just kidding, we're not that holy, Um, well, you know, this morning we're kicking off a new series, um, and, um, but to start off, I wanted to, you know, take you back in my childhood just a little bit, you know. Um, living in Texas, unless you live up in the Amarillo area, we got any Amarillo-Lubbock people? Any of you guys? Yeah, you guys get snow every year. The rest of us don't. Um, we just wish and hope for snow. So Instead, we are left to watch Hallmark movies or put on a channel that has snow falling on Christmas Day. Just pretend it's actually our, our, our window, but really it's a television. Um, and so growing up, you always wanted to enjoy snow. but um, we had to make the long trek up to Colorado where snow exists and mountains exist and where we can ski. And so I remember uh, growing up, you know, we would know months out, hey, we're going to go to Colorado this December, Christmas time to kind of celebrate, we would go every few years and we get to go ski and I remember my brother and sister and I would get so excited about that and uh, I remember actually my brother and I sometimes would change up our kind of exercise to try to get fit for skiing, you know, because the whole goal when you're a young man is to get there before the things open and to literally close them down, right? That was the goal, it was to get there and to close down the mountain. We wanted to get every minute possible of daylight into skiing and so we had to have our bodies ready to go. We, uh, we would go, you know, shopping and to make sure we had all the ski gear and all the stuff. And um, I remember getting so excited. And then, you know, but, but as a kid, mom and dad would usually kind of wake us up really early. You know, we'd wake up like at 4 a.m. And they kind of throw us in the car, hoping to get a good two, three hours in of us still sleeping, right? And so, and so they'd throw us in the car, and, and we'd wake up. And as a kid, we're thinking, hey, we wake up. We should be there by now, right? Right, and so you don't really have a concept of length, time, all that sort of stuff. So I remember waking up, you know, we're three, four hours in, we're hungry, maybe stop somewhere to grab some breakfast, and and I remember asking over and over and over that question, you know what I'm going to say, are we there yet? Right, this actually is global, this question is global. With all children, they all ask this question when you're on a journey, are we there yet? And you're thinking logically, of course we are not there yet because we're still driving, you know? But we still ask the question, right? We we still think, hey, are we there? Yet? Are we there yet? And the parents have to say no. And the first few times it's, no, son, we're not there yet. And then it's, are we there yet? And you know that was five minutes ago. We're still not. Are we there yet? And like, we're not there. I will tell you when we're there. You know that's that's when dad needs a break. Dad needs coffee at that point, and he needs to chill out. But we ask that question, are we there yet? Right? But, um, and 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 with that, as children specifically, there's an anticipation, excitement. The kind of starts here can kind of dwindle a little bit, right? It's like there you are. Now you're crossing through Amarillo, Lubbock, you know, but, but you're, not, you're not there yet. You're still in Texas. You're thinking, wow, I'm still driving. I'm still in Texas. The guys in the northeast, it's like they've gone through seven states by now, you know, but <laughs> we're in the same state still, you know, and it's getting flatter. It's not getting more mountainous, right? And so you kind of get a little discouraged because you were told there's mountains and there's snow, but all you see is tumbleweeds and you're you're not seeing the mountains yet, but you're still going and and so maybe you're you're kind of are we there yet? Kind of turns out, are we there yet? You know, now it's there's no enthusiasm, right? You're kinda deflated of until you get to Denver. Oh, and then you see, and you're like, oh, I can see something over the hill. You go through this crazy mountain, and it's pitch black, and then you come out, and the glory of God is there, right? The mountains and the snow, yes, you know, you're there. But you can imagine on the journey as a child, you can easily get discouraged because you're wondering, are we there yet? But, you know, driving a long distance, <clears throat> usually you have mile markers, right? Or you have signage that can tell you about this town or this road. Um, but but so what if you're driving and you were told, hey, you're going to go to this place where there's mountains and there's snow and skiing is going to be great, but you don't have a map and there's no GPS, right? So put the phones away, right? You don't have any sort of way except for the instructions were, I just want you to head northwest and just keep driving. Eventually you'll hit mountains, right? Like imagine if that's what we all knew. Hey, we're going to go to Colorado. Just head northwest. It, Colorado's like this promised land. We're, 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 we're gonna get there, but just head northwest. How many of us would like start that road trip? Right, I mean, if we're honest, we're like, I'm not doing that, because, you know, I, I don't know. Am I gonna run out of gas? I mean, what about food? Are there places to eat along the way? I mean, what, am I, how long? What about, are, are there any hazards? I mean, all these questions, doubts, and fears, but what we were told by a very trusted person, just head, head northwest, have actually been there before, just head that way, right? But we oftentimes will think, if we start heading that way, we're going to need some backup. We're going to need some safety valves. We're going to need some extra instructions along the way so we don't get so discouraged. And I would argue that today we live in a day and age of anticipation and excitement for Christmas and for everything this season brings us. But I think there's still a question for many people. It's maybe not, are we there yet? It's, is he here yet? Right? Like, (laughs) did... Um, did did he really come? I mean, was was Jesus really the guy? Like, did 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 I miss it? And so for us, we can have people ask that question all over the world. It doesn't matter where you are; you can share the gospel, talk about Jesus, and they're wondering, "Wait, is is that really the guy? I mean, is did did he really come?" And there's an excitement, an expectancy. You know, today marks the first Sunday of the Advent season. If you don't know what that is, traditionally the Advent season is the first four Sundays in in December leading up to Christmas Eve where we celebrate Christ's birth, and sometimes you may have candles in your own home or uh, to where you're lighting a candle for each week, and you celebrate different facets of the Christmas story, but you know, I think that this time of year, people do start asking that question again. They start asking that question, and It's not unlike the question that the Jews were asking in the Old Testament. They were asking this question of, um, we know the stories of our forefathers said that one day there is a Savior coming. Like, one day there's a Messiah. One day there's this great rescue plan from God that's coming, but when is it coming, right? And so this starts out early on, thousands of years ago, but throughout their history, they had different people that they maybe thought, hey, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. Uh, Moses was called upon to stand up to Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, and through signs and wonders, finally helped set the people free from 400 years of slavery and hard labor. You can imagine people saying, hey, Moses, I think I think he's the guy. I mean, that guy just got us out of that crazy deal. Here we go, We're, he's parting waters. I mean, stuff is happening. Moses could be the guy. But you see, God was showing parts of himself through Moses, through the worship, miracles, the the obedience to God. He was revealing himself and what it would look like to be someone devoted to God to one day be a nation devoted to God, led by Moses. Well, then the people eventually drifted in their ways and they eventually said, you know what, we don't really want God to be our king, we want a human king like everybody else. And so God relented and he finally gave them a man that they wanted who was Saul. King Saul looked every bit the part, looked like the idyllic king. He would be on People Magazine, his best-looking kings on planet Earth. We would all be trekking with him. Oh, yeah, look at Saul. Man, he's up and coming, right? Until he gets the position, and it was just a downward trend from day one. He didn't really have a heart after God, but the people put their hope in King Saul. And then God saw that, and he said, well, hey, I'm going to bring another on another king, you guys got to choose this one, but I'm gonna choose the next one. And the next one he chose was David. This shepherd boy, the youngest in his family, he chose David and sought out the prophet Samuel to come and anoint him and one day he eventually would become king. Not only defeating Goliath and the Philistines, but would rule and that was a, uh, an incredible time in the history of Israel. That they actually were people that actually prospered and they had so many things Going for them underneath the leadership of David. He even brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, signifying that we need the presence of God in the center of our nation in order for us to thrive. The Ark of the Covenant, carrying the Ten Commandments and the presence of God. Well, then you had you had Samson along the way, and you know, Samson was, we all know Samson, long-haired Samson, super huge, I mean, bigger than any he, superhero right, he was destroying. The Philistines, God anointed him with this superhuman strength, literally, where he was destroying 500 to 1,000 people at a time. It was crazy. Samson's not the guy you probably want to all to your life after. Although he was a crazy warrior, he was full of anger and lust and was not a man after God's own heart, but God still used him in showing, hey, God is like a warrior. He will defeat your enemies. And then you had Esther. Esther, a young Jewish girl who was plucked out of her home uh, while she was living uh, in, in Persia and eventually became the queen of Persia and God elevated her to this place of prominence, of royalty and political power within that kingdom because an edict was sent out to actually destroy the Jewish people, literally to wipe them off the face of the earth and God used her in that critical hour to stand up and petition the king and the king relented and the edict was then dismissed and the people of God were able to live and thrive and eventually head back to their home. I could go on with story after story after story of people men and women of the Old Testament that God used, that God raised up. We would know them as heroes. you know some of these names. But not one of these people ended up being the Savior. Not one of them, for as great as the story was, for as powerful as their story was, not one of them even came close to what the coming Savior would look like. There was just little bits and pieces, God revealing himself. So you can imagine all these years People saying, is this him? Uh, are we there yet? Like, our, oh, hey, we made it to the promised land now. Where's the Messiah? We're ready. Maybe it's Saul. He's going to do something. Maybe it's this warrior. Maybe it's this. But it never was it. It wasn't satisfying. It was always people hoping, putting their hope and trust in a person. But forgetting their hope and trust from day one was meant to be in God, not in the people." But there is a promise that we have written in 700 B.C. from the prophet Isaiah about the Savior that God would send one day. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, when you're driving along that road and you don't have any signage, you're just hoping for the best. But as the road feels like it's getting longer, you're not getting any close to your destination, you can imagine the disappointment and the discouragement it throws you into. So here we have in 700 BC, there's a promise that the Lord will give you a sign. He will give you a sign, but it's gonna look like a sign you have never seen before. It is outside the box. It is not even logical. It's not normative. But can I just remind us, God is not us. We are made in his image. He is not made in ours. God is not us, which means he doesn't play by the same rules. He is God, and he will do things that are unthinkable, impossible, illogical, not understandable, unexplainable, medically, scientifically, theologically, philosophically, and anything else in the E. All of those things, he is above and beyond all of that. Let us not forget this is our God. He's not like you and me. <laughs> we are finite. We have a beginning and end, in a sense, on this earth, and God has no beginning and end. He's before time. He's beyond. He's forever. He's eternal. And he has the wisdom and creativity to design us in this world and this people. And this entire story, his hands are all over it, weaving it through one day people are waiting. Is he here yet? Revealing himself. And Isaiah 7:14 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's just remember that statement. That's an impossible act. For a virgin woman to conceive and give birth to a son is impossible. Never been done in world history, I'm sure it will never be done again. But he says. And Isaiah, and if you were listening back then and you read those stories, you're thinking, wait a second, there's Emmanuel, that's Hebrew. I know that word. That's Hebrew for God with us. One day a woman is gonna give birth to a son and it's gonna mean that God is with us? It's not the Ark of the Covenant. It's not the temple. It's not particularly being in this part of land or having this much wealth. That's not what God with us is. It's, it's not just all of our enemies being defeated or us being rescued from slavery. That's not just, that's not it. That's not the apex. Those are signs. Those are things leading to it. But man, the ultimate is when he actually comes with us. And John describes it this way. He says, it's really God in the flesh that he comes to dwell with us. God dwelling with us as his people. But we know that Isaiah seven fourteen. it was a promise. It was a prophecy. But that promise is actually fulfilled. We see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... The Virgin Mary was found to be with child, even though she was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now, um, if you're married in this room, you know all the anticipation and work that goes into wedding planning. Right? There's actually a lot that goes into it. Now, I know on the male side, we usually do a little less of the work, being generous. Um, But there's a lot of planning, right? Especially for the bride and the... Mother the bride, there's just a lot of planning. I mean, so much so where some people say, hey, this kind of, most of my life kind of stops for six months while I plan, okay? And so, um, and, and so wedding planning is a big deal. There's a lot of people being invited. They're buying plane tickets. You're trying to figure out the cake and the food and the, and the venue, you gotta book it a year out. I mean, all these little things, you know what I'm talking about. And you're trying to get everybody to say, hey, there's a really big day coming, so please block it off in your calendar Go spend 200 bucks on something you'll never wear again. Show up, come on, show up, rent this, look sharp, please clean up the beard and the haircut. Everybody come ready, because we're gonna celebrate and there's gonna be a feast and there's gonna be dancing and you won't wanna miss it, so get excited, right? Now I know Joseph didn't necessarily have a wedding coordinator, okay? I know venues were probably a little different back then. But you've gotta imagine, this guy, is so excited. I mean, he's been eyeing this girl for a while. Now they're engaged and they're about to get married. And all of a sudden she shows up one day for afternoon tea and is like, Hey, Joseph, I got a little news for you. He's thinking, What? What? I mean, there was not a smile on his face. Okay, don't be tricked here. I'm sure the guy was dejected depressed. I mean, I would be. I'm like, what? Like, I thought you were saving yourself for me. I We made plans. My whole family's coming from all over the place. Galilee and they're coming. <laughs> okay. And that's not like an airplane. That is donkey on foot months and months of traveling to come to this wedding. And What? You're already pregnant? And I know it's different in our society, but back then, that was a no-go. You do not get married to someone who has a child with someone else. It did not happen when you're betrothed to them. It was a big, huge deal. It, it It was massive, massive embarrassment, massive exile. I mean, destruction was coming for that family. You can't do that. You couldn't save face from that. So you can imagine Joseph, so excited. Man, our big day's coming. And then just destroyed in a moment. And guys, I just want to say, there are things that happen to every one of us in this room when you are so excited. I mean, you could be waiting for your child to be born, and things don't look good. You could be so excited. Some of you have been engaged and someone broke off the engagement. Your heart was broken. You could have been going off to college thinking you're gonna have this degree and you couldn't pass the classes and now you're stuck wondering, what am I gonna do? You've maybe have taken on so much debt you feel like it's insurmountable and I'm stuck with this the next 30 years. I'm gonna live just a slave to debt the rest of my life. I have no way up. I had so much promise, so much hope, right? It's like you graduate from high school and you're thinking, man, the whole world is ahead of me. So many promising things. And you look back three years, five years, 10, 20 years later, you're thinking, what happened? I was so excited. Now I feel like I've just been destroyed. I'm discouraged. i Don't know really what I believe. I'm not sure who's my friends. I don't know what the future is. I feel embarrassed to answer a question, what's next? Or are you married yet? And I keep saying, no, I'm not. Everyone's judging me. Just all those things, guys. Like, that exists. But don't you know that Joseph felt this pressure, this weight, this deep discouragement? But God always, always will speak in to our disappointment and our pain and our discouragement and our depression and those missed things, he will speak into it only if you listen. And, guys, he's already spoken into many of them for us, but we've pushed him away. We've blocked him out because we're so deep in our grief. We're so deep in what's happened and how hurt we are. We can't even hear his kindness anymore you've blocked him out. It's like a friend coming to you and saying, man, we're proud of you. We love you. And all you hear is, you hate me. You don't want me around. It's, I just said, we love you. we We're proud. What is going on? You know, like this happens in marriages sometimes, you know, it's like, hello, I'm here, you know, why are you still crying? You know, I said, I'm sorry, seven times already, you know, no experience with that, but I have made her cry once or twice. <laughs> but guys, this is real. You know, but then God shows up, and he says, the angel of the Lord. Okay, so, so, and I just want to say, here, here's, here, here's, here's my theological statement. The harder, the more painful, the more brutal it is, I wholeheartedly believe experientially the more powerful he shows up. He shows up. He will come in power. You don't believe me? Go to the edge of lostness around the world. You want signs and wonders? Go where people don't know about Jesus. He'll start turning poisoned water into drinking water. He'll start getting people who been lame for 40 years up and running around. He'll start making the blind see. He'll start showing up in so much power because there's so much brokenness. God loves to put on a show to show his glory, and his goodness, and his kindness, and his power, when the darkness thinks it's got this village right where he's got them, Next thing you know, the glory of God shows up. Healings, people being saved, marriages being restored, children healthy, it's like, what just happened? Bumper crops, the rain comes, it's like, whoa, God just showed up. God loves to do that. But sometimes in our pain and grief, Even with that angel of the Lord shining in the room, you can still say, Joseph had a choice in his grief, I believe, to listen or to push him out. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Do you like that? Son of David. It wasn't David's direct son. It's a great, 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 grandson of David. What is he doing? Joseph, son of David, I'm reminding you of the lineage you have, reminding you of the royal blood that you carry in your veins. The angel of the Lord was sent to tell him this. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, why would he say that? Because he knew everything would be ruined. If he married this woman and people found out she's pregnant from another man or something, it would be ruined. He says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Yes, Joseph, this is going to blow your mind, and you'll never hear another story about it. This is a unique circumstance. <laughs> But she is literally pregnant with God. She is pregnant with the Son of God. You know, guys, that, um, that question, is he here yet? Just got answered answer to Joseph. Him and Mary were the first ones to find out, hey, he's here. You'll see him in about eight months. Is he here yet? Guys, God always wants to give us hope if we'll listen. And I believe in that moment, Joseph's countenance, his heart had to have changed. I mean, one is saying the angel is going to change your countenance pretty quick. Um, but the angel of the Lord showing up. The countenance that just changed. And I'm sure his heart shifted to, oh, okay, we can do this. This is different. There's no manuscript for this one. I can do this. I can marry her, honor her, defend her, protect her, and do what the Lord's called me to do. There's hope, I see. Don't you think he was wishing for like his own son, you know? But in a way, since Jesus came to the line of Judah, came to the line of David. It is his son, but by a different way. Do you see? Joseph got to raise Jesus as his earthly father, not his heavenly father, but what a privilege is actually better than what he had thought. I mean, a little nerve wracking, probably. Uh, what if I yelled at him? You know? <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> Son of God. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, <laughs> patient. You know, are we there yet? When do you want to be there? You know, just. <laughs> right. I don't know how it all played out, but I mean, let's just say, though, what a privilege, you know? I mean, what an honor, what a privilege. To get to raise a little young man who's came in the flesh, the Son of God. What a privilege. And, man, he got to see it that way. Not initially. So, guys, we can ignore God, but he's speaking to us in our places of pain and hurts. And, you know, later on, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, he says this, Speaking of this hope that we have, right? Like, because Joseph and Mary got the first intel, the first glimpse of this coming one, the one where people are saying, is he here yet? He's here, and then Paul speaks back into what has Jesus really done for us? Like, what is this hope he's created for us? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, verse three. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has to us. You see, the hope does not put us to shame. That hope that the angel of the Lord gave to Joseph, The hope that God spoke to Mary, the angel spoke to Mary about what's gonna happen, doesn't put him to shame. Society would have put him to shame. But the hope of Christ lifts you above and beyond what seems logical. And let's remember that the people of Israel had to wait a very long time. And sadly to this day, there are many Jews that do not believe the Messiah has come. They're still asking the question, is he here yet? There are many people all over the world, different faiths, asking the question, is God, like, was Jesus really God? Is he really the one? Did I miss it? Am I worshiping something that's not him? There's many Christians maybe even wondering on the brink, really, is this just a game? Do I just sign up for Buddhism or Islam or Christianity or Taoism or Shintoism? Do I sign up for atheism? What do I sign up for? I need to have some sort of religion. Or is it, no, 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 no. There's actually one, only one, that can give you that kind of peace. There's only one that can give you that kind of hope when everything looks so bleak. But you know, sometimes we do put our hope in the wrong thing. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We can put our hope in a person or in an outcome or a company or relationship or even a child. And those hopes aren't bad. Those are good. I am so hopeful for our children. But if all of your hope is put in those people they will fail you, even the best of us. But if hope is put in him, you will not fail. The second part of that proverb says, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. We have to realize that for nearly 4,000 years, the people of God were told stories and the promises and expectation that one day a savior would be coming. You can imagine the discouragement and disappointment for four thousand years. Uh, none of us have lived to be a hundred years, so it's a lot longer. <laughs> imagine the grandparents telling you the stories. Yeah, we we're still waiting. We celebrate Passover every year. We're still waiting. We're hoping that he comes soon. I mean, things are really hard. We're in Babylon captivity. We're here with Pharaoh, and they're working us like dogs we are here it's, yeah maybe one day you can imagine there's a remnant always holding on maybe maybe he's coming he's, he's coming back soon we just he said to head northwest to stay on that road don't veer so come on let's just stay north so the god would send prophets say just keep going northwest guys i don't know man it's a long road i know but just have the faith And then they would get discouraged. He'd rise up another prophet, another person would say, no, no, just keep heading this way. He's coming. The mountains are there. They're there. I know they're there. He's shown it to me in a dream. He's revealed it to me in a vision. I know it's there. (laughs) But if we just look at this road and the flat land around us, you get pretty discouraged. But what what if you looked upwards? What if you looked to your heavenly home? What if actually you looked at this verse and said, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What if we didn't just think about our home now, but our future home? You know, it's interesting, in Genesis, it talks about the tree of life. God created Adam and Eve and said, you have the tree of life, and you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they made a statement in there that if they eat of the tree of life, they'll live forever and they'll be like us. Well, eventually Adam and Eve, you know, the story that goes down, they got Buddha from the garden, and it says the cherubim were put there in front, guarding the Garden of Eden and guarding the tree of life. Fast forward, Genesis all the way to Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God the very beginning of time to the end of time. He's saying, if you will keep your hope, no matter what adversity comes your way, if you will conquer the current circumstances and disappointments, if you remain faithful to me, there's a promise for you in heaven. You get to eat from that tree of life. You see, if our hope's put in the wrong thing, we're led down this spiraling path of depression, discouragement. But if our hope is put in him, We maintain that hope no matter what it looks like. And then we ask them to speak into the place of disappointment and pain. God, help me understand what's going on. Speak into it, Lord. Reunite my soul again. I'm telling you guys, there are people on this planet that I have met that if you look at their circumstances, you would say that's a horrible life, how depressing, discouraging, and yet they are way more joyful than me. They have very little. They have next to nothing. They've gone through hardship. But you know what they found? They found that secret of contentment and joy and hope in him. Not in how much they had to eat today. Oh, let it be said of us. Amen? What if we were people that said, no matter what, our hope will remain. We will be those who be labeled as faithful, the conquerors. No matter what happens in our world, we will remain true. So that one day we'll be invited to eat that tree of life with him in heaven. Let's stand as we close. Invite the band on that. As I shared earlier, I don't pretend to know where each of you are in your life. (laughs) We could go to the room and I could ask for the difficult stories of 2019, and I'm sure you'd have a few on the top of your head. I could ask about the trying circumstances you've gone through in your marriage and your family as a student with your aunts and uncles. Maybe you've had grandparents pass away. I know I have. Maybe you were devastated by the loss of a child. Maybe you had a job lined out and it didn't pan out. It could be big or little, but everyone in this room has disappointment, has discouragement, has devastating things that have happened or traumatic things that have happened in your life. And I want to say God is not sweeping those under the rug. But what he is wanting to say is, I have something for that. I have a remedy. I have medicine for that. That medicine is me. That medicine is my hope, my grace, my goodness. That medicine is I'm still with you. That medicine is actually what Isaiah prophesied in Matthew 1, retold again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That medicine for that disappointment and discouragement is that God is with us. He's with you. He's with me. It doesn't matter where you live or where you work in this world. You can't go anywhere and escape him. He's all around us. He's with us. He's in a spirit to be inside of us. (laughs) God with us. That's what we lean into church that's what we that's what we press into when we feel squeezed when we feel like we're on the brink when we're wondering if where we're going to get there we press in to the hope that is Jesus Christ let me pray for us so Lord we just ask this morning <clears throat> that you would be our hope Lord help us to recognize when we're putting our hope and trust in other people above you or things or circumstances or even other promises although they're good things or they're not you they're not ultimate and so lord we ask that you would do something in our hearts this morning remind us that emmanuel is god with us remind us that is the great rescue plan that is your ultimate desire is to set us free not just in the physical sense, but in the soul and the spiritual sense that we could be set free from our sins forever. That there would be a savior that was come, that has come. His name is Jesus Christ. To come and be our Lord, to be our King, and to come and be our savior. That he would save us from separation from you and yet bring us into relation with you, God, so that we could receive the grace, we could receive the mercy, we could receive the hope, we could receive your kindness and your love. So God, we celebrate this morning that you have come. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that's questioning, has Jesus really come? Is he really him? Lord, would you would you get a hold of their hearts this morning? Would you soften their hearts, Lord, and open up their ears to hear you speak to them, God? You would speak to them, reveal yourself to them, not just here in this moment, but today and tomorrow the next day. Reveal yourself to them, press into that place of pain and discouragement and lift them from the inside out. They say there's a hope. There is a remedy. His name is Jesus. Let's worship this